0: Well, I want to start off this morning with a quote from Jesus. That seems appropriate, given that it's Easter Sunday. And this quote is found in Revelation, the first chapter, verses 17 and 18. And Jesus said this, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave man, that is awesome. I hope that gets somebody excited on this Easter morning. Uh, As we read that verse, that verse kind of sums up everything we know about the truth of Resurrection Day, of Easter Sunday. It's one of the most exciting and powerful scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. I love that verse, but more than that, I love what this verse means for you and for me. He holds the keys of death and the grave, the saying goes that, you know, nothing is certain except death and taxes. And, th- and this month is, at least in normal years, when most Americans are getting their taxes done, right? But when it comes to death, Jesus holds up the keys. And he says, it may be certain, but it's certainly not final. Jesus has the final word when it comes to death. Now, before I jump into the body of my message this morning, I want to tell you a story And for this story, we're going way back, back to 1985, 36 years ago to when I was in seventh grade. And we are now standing outside the junior high that I attended. I'm waiting for the late bus to come pick me up after school. Now, the late bus is the one that ran after school. After all the normal buses leave, this one runs much later for athletes to get picked up and taken home. Of course, I wasn't there Because I was an athlete, I was there because I had stayed after for computer club, okay? Nerd alert, I had stayed after school for computer club. And while I'm standing there with my trapper keeper and all of my books tucked under my arm, I didn't carry a backpack, I just carried all my books and it had to be like this thick. And I'm carrying everything under my arm. And while I'm doing that, the school bully decided to start picking on me. Well, his name was Shannon. And now in 1985, when you were a boy named Shannon, either you got beat up a lot or you were the toughest kid in school. That's just the way it worked in 1985. Well, he was the latter. So Shannon comes over and assumes I'm an easy target. I had just come from computer club after all. And he starts tapping at the stack of books under my arm to try and to use the phrase we used to use when I was in middle school to book me. Now to book someone, that is to dump their books and papers all over the ground and laugh while they scramble to pick them all up. Really mature behavior. So he tapped at them a few times and I maintained a death grip on them, I wasn't letting go of them, all the while his posse is egging him on. Of course he had a posse, I mean what self-respecting school bully uh, would walk around without a collection of miscreants to watch him pick on other kids, right? So finally, Shannon winds up and does a roundhouse kick and sends all of my books flying. They just, I I could see it in slow motion. They just spread out everywhere, papers everywhere, books everywhere. My books went everywhere and my sanity went with them. So while Shannon looked smugly at the fruit of his labor and his posse was doubled over with laughter, I balled up my fist and, like George McFly in Back to the Future, I mean, this was 1985 after all, I punched as hard as I could and hit him right in the mouth. I don't encourage this behavior. I'm just repeating a story of what I did. He stood there looking in stunned disbelief, and one of his cronies said, Hey, Shannon, your mouse bleeding. And that's when we saw the tooth on the ground next to him. Now, I know you're all dying to find out what happened next, but that's a story for another time, so we'll save that because that's not the point. The point I want you to see here this morning is that Shannon had underestimated me. He underestimated my power. Maybe not. Maybe he would have been spot on 99% of the time, but in that moment, he underestimated me. And really, when it comes down to it, people not having an accurate image of my power doesn't really bother me. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. Think I'm tough or don't think I'm tough. Think you can beat me up or think you can't. It's not important to me. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is something that really does bother me. And what really bothers me is when people underestimate the power of Jesus. And people do it all the time. And I'm not just talking about people in the world who just think he's a good teacher or he was just this really moral man. I'm talking about church people. I'm talking about his followers who underestimate the power of Jesus. I mean, think about it. People don't talk about Jesus like he's this amazing power to be reckoned with. I did a Google search for the image of Jesus. And it's unreal. Half the time, Jesus looks like he has one of those like super soft Snapchat filters on him. You know, it looks like he's in some glamour shot. Other times he's all weak and he's scrawny looking. We paint such a weak picture of Jesus. I mean, stop and think for just a second. When I say the name of Jesus, what image comes to your mind? I'm willing to bet that for most of us, you think about a painting that you've seen throughout your entire life. Growing up in church Sunday school, the picture on the wall. It's usually a guy with long blondish brown hair, right? You know, blue eyes. And he's petting sheep. Always. He's always petting sheep. If the paintings we have are any indication, Jesus was petting sheep over half of his life. Because we want to show the compassionate side of Jesus, right? And absolutely, yes, Jesus is compassionate. Did he pet sheep? Maybe we don't know, it's not in any of the gospels. I mean, not one time Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, nowhere, none of them talk about him petting sheep, and yet that's what we paint. But maybe Jesus had a special place in his heart for carrying sheep around that the gospel writers just didn't know about. We don't know. But here's the thing there's this other side of Jesus that we just don't talk about a lot, and it's one that he talks about all the time. Jesus was constantly referring to himself, this side of himself. And and that is his power, his unmatched power. And in our culture today, people don't want to talk about Jesus' power. It's not popular. You know what's popular in our world? Show us Jesus' feminine side. Show us how tender he is. And here's the thing, there are passages that talk about his compassion for people, that talk about his love, but you need to understand that most of the time when Jesus talked about himself, it was about his power and about his glory. And when you look at the way he interacts with and talks to other people, especially those who oppress or keep others from him, when he's talking to them, there's a very strong and incredibly direct and even harsh side to Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because Easter is a time when we celebrate his power. Easter is a time when we celebrate what we just read there in Revelation. When he says, yeah, I was dead and now I'm alive eternally. And I'm holding the keys of death and of hell and all authority belongs to me. That's who we are celebrating today. A powerful and victorious Jesus. And one of the main reasons it bothers me so much that we paint such a weak picture of Jesus is that it causes us to be weak as his followers. When we don't understand the power of Jesus, we forget the power that he has and the power that is within us because we sell Jesus short. So before we go any further, I want everyone to take the deepest breath you can and hold it for just a second. Okay? now let it out feels good doesn't it here's the reason you were able to do that jesus only because he allowed you to take that breath were you able to take it colossians 1:17 says he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together without the ongoing influence of jesus everything that is would cease to exist He literally holds everything together. That's the Jesus that I'm talking about today. That's the Jesus that he portrayed when he talked about himself, an amazingly powerful, powerful being, and he's my God. We're going to look at some snapshots from Jesus' life and teaching in Matthew's gospel today. And see how he presented himself. And I'm going to move pretty quickly because I've got a lot of these that I want to touch on. And a lot of these images that he presents of himself. Um, And I want to show you Jesus. And as we go, I want you to be constantly asking yourself, do I have an accurate picture of Jesus? Do I live with an accurate picture of Jesus in my mind and in my heart? So in Matthew 5, Jesus starts his public ministry. You know what Jesus did before he began his ministry? He went out and he fasted for 40 days. 40 days without food. And I don't know what the longest is you've gone without food. I've gone 10 days before and I was miserable. I thought I was going to die. 40 days without food. And here he is at his weakest and Satan himself comes to tempt him. The devil himself comes to tempt Jesus, and when it's all done, Jesus says in Matthew 4.10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then in chapter 5, you have Jesus, when he starts his public ministry now, he goes straight to the religious leaders. I mean, you got to understand the religious leaders. These are the people that Everyone looked up to. They were placed on a pedestal. They had so much status and control. And Jesus goes right after them. And he looks at a crowd of people with the Pharisees standing right there. And he says this in Matthew 5.20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a bold statement right there, folks. When Jesus comes and he says right in front of the most powerful people in their culture, look, you've got to be more righteous than those guys or you're never going to get into heaven. In other words, they're going to hell and you'd better be better or you're joining them. Come on. Then later on in chapter six, he goes after the rich and those who are trying to find their security in money and just take care of themselves. And he says to these people in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You for you will hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He's telling the people, you want to follow me? Well, you can't if you're obsessed with things. You can't have both. Just be about me, seek my kingdom and my righteousness. Don't even worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Just follow me, I'll take care of it. Talks about judgment day. In the seventh chapter of Matthew, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Guys, this is Jesus starting his ministry. He's just getting warmed up here. This is the very beginning. And then when he was done, it says in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. This is not what they were used to hearing. They did, people did not stick their necks out. People did not you know, put themselves on the line. People did not go against the status quo. The Pharisees didn't give them this kind of teaching. And so Jesus arrives on the scene and he goes right after it. And if we're honest, this isn't the Jesus that church people and even most preachers portray today. We talk about culturally acceptable Jesus or Jesus, my buddy, or Jesus who is nice to everyone all the time. That's the Jesus that comes up a lot. But the powerful, confrontational, and authoritative Jesus often gets forgotten. In chapter 8, we find Jesus with his disciples, and they're in a boat. And there's this huge storm happening around them right now, and the disciples think they're going to die. Jesus is asleep, so they wake Jesus up. They're terrified. Jesus is sleeping through everything, and they wake him up. In Matthew 8, 26, 27, Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. So the disciples are sitting there going, man, who are we with right now? Who is this guy? The guy walks up a short time earlier in their lives and says, hey, come, follow me. Short time after that, they're in a boat and there's waves everywhere. He wakes up, he says, be still and everything just flattens out instantly can you imagine how freaked out you would be in this circumstance if you were one of these disciples the disciples are going who is this guy the wind obeys him the water too and think about in our context today we have storms raging all around us and i'm not talking about the wind and the rain and the waves I'm talking about cultural storms, I'm talking about political storms, I'm talking about financial storms. We have all these storms raging in our lives and we, too many of Jesus' followers, go through life terrified of these storms, just like the disciples were, why? Because we don't understand the power that Jesus has to calm the storms and the authority he has over every circumstance in our lives. And then it says a couple of verses later, that they cross the lake and they come to the other side. And there's these two demon-possessed men. And it says that they were so fierce, these demon-possessed men, that no one could even walk by them because they would torment everyone who came near. I think one of them might have been named Shannon. And listen to this. It says, as Jesus passed by, suddenly they cry out. Suddenly the demons that are inside of these men cry out and listen to what the demons say. They began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? Now what does that tell you about Jesus? And what does that tell you about the demon's viewpoint on his authority? Sometimes we can get so cocky when we talk about Jesus And when you understand that even the demons are going, I don't know what he's gonna do, but I'm terrified. I don't know what you think when you hear the name Jesus, but the Bible says the demons shudder just at the sound of his name. Do we have that kind of awe and reverence and respect and holy fear for Jesus? And you know what's interesting is he casts the demons out of these guys. And so everyone hears about this in the community. And because they've been freaked out by these two guys, now suddenly everything has changed. So the city comes out to see Jesus. They want to see what happened. And here's their response. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. So you probably thought they would be cheering him on, right? I mean, they just set these two, Jesus just set these two guys free. No, when they saw that much power, their first reaction was, we don't even want you here. We, we were comfortable in our life the way it was. We don't need Jesus, this being with so much power that he can talk to waves and wind and cause us to calm down. We don't need a Jesus where demons are screaming out, get away from us, don't torment us. We don't want you here, Jesus. It's a pretty incredible reaction, but it's no different today. People are okay with a Jesus who just loves all the time, who accepts, but confrontational Jesus, polarizing Jesus, powerful Jesus, most people don't want anything to do with that Jesus. The thing is, that's the real Jesus of scripture. Chapter nine, a guy who's paralyzed is brought in on a stretcher and Jesus looks at him and says, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he does it. He gets up and he walks out. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. People started freaking out at the power that this man wielded. Chapter 10, Jesus says some pretty harsh words. And I want you to listen to these words. There are a lot of people who don't like to hear this side of Jesus. But it's real. And you've got to get it to understand who he really is. Listen to what he says in Matthew ten 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Guys, that's intense. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? When he came to this earth, he said, stop being afraid of everyone else. So they kill you. Not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. He says that instead, be afraid of me because I can kill you and then I can send your soul to hell. I know that's not the Jesus you want to hear about today, right? I mean, you want the nice version. There are people who would say, let's just skip all these parts because you're starting to sound like one of those hellfire and brimstone guys. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm a Bible preacher. And if the Bible says it, then we're going to talk about it. I didn't write any of this. This is straight from scripture. This is the words of Jesus about himself. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't be afraid of people. And even as I was reading it again this morning and going through this, I'm thinking, yeah, people might not like this, but I don't care. Why would I be afraid of you? What are you gonna do, email me? Yeah, Uh, let's make sure we see the real Jesus this morning, right? I mean, that's what we want. We wanna see Jesus, who he is, and most importantly, who he says he is. Now, he goes on in a few verses later in verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So when we proclaim Jesus and we honor Jesus, Jesus is going to back us up as we stand before God. In verse 37, he says, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Guys, I want you to hear this. Jesus was very direct. We've got to learn to fear Jesus, not be afraid of Jesus, but have a awe and respect that goes beyond just a, oh yeah, I think Jesus is great. No, there is a power in in the person of Jesus that we can't even comprehend. The Bible tells us that fearing God is where wisdom begins. Jesus was very, very, very clear. Chapter 11, he confronts entire cities. He looks at these cities, performs all these miracles in them, and in the end, because they don't believe, he says, I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And what happened to Sodom? God destroyed the city of Sodom because of its wickedness and its evil with fire that fell from heaven. It's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom. Is that harsh? Is it loving? Here's what it is. It's truth. And if he didn't tell them the truth about what they would be facing, would that be love at all? Guys, this is the real Jesus. Chapter 12, some of the religious leaders are starting to question Jesus and his disciples because they're picking grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus says this about himself, for the son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. He tells them, you're all into these rules. You can't do any work on the Sabbath day. First of all, Understand the reason why I made the rule. Yeah, I made the rule. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I did that for man. That was for you that I made this rule. I didn't want you working seven days a week. I want you to have a day of rest. So you're telling my disciples that they can't pick up a piece of grain and eat it, even though they're starving. You missed the whole point of the Sabbath. And besides, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one. I'm the master of these laws. Then we come to chapter 13, and here Jesus is talking about the end of time. Listen to what he says here The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, some people hear that and go, man, I don't like this. I don't like Jesus saying this. So let's just pretend he didn't. Okay. That's what we do. We pretend Jesus didn't say the hard things. Let's just, let's just ignore all these parts and don't make us feel or that don't make us feel good and give us warm fuzzies. Yeah. He's petting sheep all the time. Let's just focus on that. Let's just go with that today. Chapter 15, I love this part of chapter 15. Jesus just unloaded on the Pharisees here. He's just telling them the way it is. He doesn't care. And then in chapter 15, verse 12, after confronting the Pharisees yet again, get this in Matthew 15, 12, this is great. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Seriously? Guys, that is awesome. Awesome. How relevant is that reaction to today's culture? How relevant is that? They were so afraid of offending people. Does it sound like Jesus is really concerned about offending anyone at this point? No, he's going to tell the truth. And they go, hey, you know what you said? I think that offended them, Jesus. And so Jesus says, oh, I'm so sorry. No, that's not what Jesus says. It's sad because in our arrogance, we think that our offense is what matters more than anything else. Our offense matters even more than the truth. And it's not just cancel culture that thinks this way, church. It's not just the cancel culture in our society today. It's church people as well who feel this way. Hey, it's Easter. Why did you have to talk about Jesus being so strong? Why did you have to hit this? Why couldn't you have just brought a cute guy in a bunny costume out and had this been more upbeat and happy? It happens. And just because that happens doesn't mean we change the message. The message is Jesus, the real Jesus. People are going to hate the message. Why? Because the message is Jesus. And people hated Jesus. Why do you think they nailed him to a cross? Because he was kind and compassionate all the time? No, because he went against the culture of his day. He went against the tide of the religious leaders of the day. He went against the authorities of the day. And he told them, listen, I have the authority to cast you into hell for eternity. So you need to follow me. These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. So this is how Jesus responds when the disciples inform him that he offended the Pharisees. Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. (laughs) Mic drop by Jesus. Chapter 16 is when he told Peter, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Everyone's against Jesus. Everyone hates Jesus. But when you said, Peter, that I was the Christ, you were right. And Peter, I want you to know I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stop me. Do you understand how powerful I am? And do all of you, Trilogy, do you know why we're meeting right now at 10 a.m. on April 4th, 2021, Easter Sunday? Because Jesus was right Because Jesus made that proclamation. He said, I'm going to build my church. It's going to spread. It's going to grow. And there will always be true followers of me. Then in chapter 20, he starts talking about his death. And this is where we start to see his power at a whole different level. Matthew 20, 18 and 19. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Can you imagine Jesus who calms the seas and walks on water, who casts these demons out and demons are freaked out by him. Then he tells the disciples, you guys, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. And I'll be buried, and then I'm going to rise from the grave. (laughs) And then he says a few verses later, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This here is his ultimate demonstration of power. He could have stopped the whole thing. He could have destroyed them all, but he let them torture him. He let them kill him. He let them crucify him. Why? Because he came for that very reason. He came to die for you. Jesus says, I'm going to go through this for you. That's why I came. I'm going to be punished for all your sins. I'm going to take it because that's how strong I am. I will take, I will carry all of your sin. You should be punished. You should be crucified. You should go to this place of burning torment that I've been talking about this whole time. You should go there, but you don't have to. I'm going to go to the cross for you instead. That's why I came. I came to serve you. And then after they kill me, I'm going to rise from the grave. That's how powerful I am. This is the real Jesus. Chapter 21, if you think Jesus is weak and passive, chapter 21 will throw you for a loop. In chapter 21, he makes a whip and he goes into the temple area because in this temple, uh, God's place of worship, there are people that are trying to make money off it. There's people exchanging money at an exorbitant rate. They're selling animals for sacrifice. And to make it even worse, they're doing it in the only portion of the temple, the outer courts, where Gentiles have to worship and to pray. So they've basically eliminated all Gentiles from being able to worship God. So Jesus comes in with a whip and, and it says that he came in and he drove everyone out from the temple with his whip. He took the tables and he just threw them over. He just tosses the tables over. Money and doves are flying everywhere. And he literally drives everyone out of the temple and says in Matthew 21:13, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. That's my Jesus right there. That's the Jesus that I worship, who came in and says, you are not gonna do this to my father's house. You don't do this in my temple. I will not let this happen. Worship and prayer will never be trampled on if I have anything to say about it. And then later in that same chapter in verse 42, then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. You understand who I am? I'm the one that they rejected. They're going to realize that I'm actually the cornerstone. I'm the most important stone there is. And if you fall on me, it's like glass falling on rock. It's going to shatter you. No, you want to follow me. And when I fall on you, I'm going to crush you. That is Jesus. Is this the picture you had in your head? Jesus was strong. Jesus came in this temple, cleared it all out and says, look, I'm the cornerstone. If I fall on you, I destroy you. You try to fall on me and I will shatter you to pieces because I am Jesus. I am the son of God. Chapter 23, he confronts the scribes and the Pharisees. Yes, again. And he starts using this phrase, what sorrow awaits... Other translations say it like this, woe to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law. Jesus looks at them in the face and says, woe. And that word that is translated as woe is like guttural painful. Woe is like a curse. It's like seeing someone get hurt so badly that you get sick to your stomach. Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he says it again and again and again. In verse 15, he says, What sorrow awaits you. Woe to you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Wow. Imagine Jesus going to the most religious people and saying, yeah, you're going out and converting people, but you're converting them to be like you. And in fact, they're twice the child of hell that you are. That's the way that Jesus talked to people, church. In chapter 24, he talks about his return. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, you'd better be ready. This servant in the the story I told was not ready, but you'd better be ready. I'm going to die and rise from the grave. I'm going to head back to heaven and then I'm going to come back at any time. And I'm actually going to come at a time when you're not ready for me. That's why I'm saying stay awake, be alert. Be ready for me. You need to be ready for my return. And what will that return be like? Matthew 25, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. See, when I hear it, when you hear the name Jesus, what I want you to think about is this, because this is the way you're actually going to see him. It doesn't say he's going to come back in a beauty pageant sash, scratching a lamb behind his ear. Jesus says, when I come back, I'm coming back with all of my glory. And literally, there'll be a hundred million angels with me. And I'm going to sit on the throne of this universe. And I'm going to take everyone as I sit on the throne and all my angels are with me. And I'm going to start separating people to the left and to the right. And those on my left, are going to be thrown into an eternal fire. And those on the right will go to their eternal reward. And that's what's going to happen at the end. Chapter 26, we see him get arrested. In fact, when John tells the story, he says that when the soldiers came and they found out who Jesus was, when Jesus makes his declaration, I am, they just all fell on their faces. The army that came fell to the ground in fear. And Peter, Peter grabs his little sword and cuts a guy's ear off thinking he's going to fight. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew 26. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? You need to understand the power of Jesus. And this is what blows me away at the end of chapter 26. With all of his power, the power of the entire universe at his command then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? I can't even read those words without getting emotional, thinking that this is my Savior, this is my King, this is the creator of the universe, and he's allowing this humiliating treatment to take place. The most powerful being in all creation, one who could have called down legions of angels, and he's allowing people to blindfold him, to spit on him, to slap him on the face and mock him. Come on, you're the Son of God. You're so powerful. Who just hit you? One of the most powerful things you will ever see Jesus do in Scripture is not use his power. One of the most powerful things you will ever see Jesus do in scripture, is not use his power. And Now we come to chapter 27 and what Easter is all about. And it tells us how they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a rod in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail the king of the Jews. Then they spit on him more, took the rod and hit him in the head. And after they had mocked him, they led him away to crucify him. They continue to mock him while he's dying on the cross and still he restrains his power. He takes it all. He takes the mocking, the beating. He takes our sin. He carries it all. But at the moment of his death, when he breathes his last, the power he had been holding back, the power he had been restraining can't help but be released in that moment. In Matthew 27, Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead and they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. The Roman officer, and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened, and they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Amen. That is our Jesus. That is the power of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until the moment of his death that some of the people there truly had a picture of the power of the man they had just killed The fear they felt was real, not only because of the terrifying display of nature's fury that had been unleashed at that moment, but also because of the realization of what they had just done and what could have been done to them. And the realization they had is one that every one of us should feel because we are just as guilty for sending Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that put him there. I didn't swing the hammer, but I might as well have. And finally, we come to chapter 28. I love chapter 28. I hope you love chapter 28 because after he's crucified, after he's put in the tomb, the women come to the tomb, and then there's an angel there sitting there saying, he's not here anymore. He's risen. Didn't he tell you? He told you he was going to rise again, and they started running. I love this. Matthew 28, verse 8, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. That is exactly how our relationship with Jesus should be. We're very frightened, but filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. They start running. They had a message to share that was too good to walk. It's not over. Jesus being crucified is not the end of the story, Trilogy. In fact, it's just the beginning. These gals go to the tomb. They don't find him. He is risen. Jesus is alive. The grave couldn't keep him and death couldn't hold him. Guys, that is his power. That is his might. That's his majesty and his glory. He took my punishment and he threw it to the ground and he stepped on its neck as he walked out of the tomb and he left it empty. That's my Jesus. That's the Jesus I worship. That's the Jesus I bow to who says, look, go ahead and destroy me. I will come back. So all the disciples then gather together around Jesus. In the last couple of verses of Matthew, Jesus says in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you Always, even to the end of the age. So the last thing he says before he ascends into heaven, he says, okay, I want you all to go now. And I want you to tell people to follow me. Make disciples of all the nations. I don't want them to just give me a little bit of their lives. I want you to baptize them, immerse them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have them come into relationship with me and let me just consume them. Let me transform them. Let me write a new story for them. And then he tells the disciples to teach these new followers what? To pray a prayer and ask me into their lives? No, to teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. Here's Jesus rising from the grave after that whole ministry that we just blitzed through over the last 30 minutes or so. And he says, now get out of here. Go tell people who I am and get them to follow me. Teach them to obey everything that I taught you, and I will be with you forever. Now, what I want to say to all of you today is not great, wasn't this great? Come back for church next weekend. What I want to say to you today is obey everything that Jesus said, live it out. Guys, let every day be lived in obedience to Jesus. Listen to all of his words. Don't cut out the parts you don't like. You don't have that option. Why? This is God's universe, and he does things his way. You may have a different way, but you don't have a universe. So we do things God's way. That pretty much sums it up. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, and the story isn't even over there. Because it's like we said in the very beginning of the message, we'll come back to it now. Jesus appears to John later, and he says in Revelation chapter 1, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Hallelujah. Do you understand when Jesus said this? Jesus said this after rising from the grave, after ascending into heaven, he comes back in his glorified state now and he starts talking to John. In fact, John sees him and John tells us his eyes were like fire and his tongue was like this giant sword. And the Bible tells us that when John saw Jesus, the real Jesus, he fell over like a dead man. And Jesus comes over and he says, hey, don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus, you know, the one who died and is now forevermore. You know what I love about this verse? Don't be afraid. Because I look at that verse and I think, yeah, that's right. Guys, the reality is I'm not afraid. Why would I be afraid? I fear Jesus. I respect. I'm in awe of Jesus. I have reverence for Jesus, but I'm not afraid of Jesus. Why would I be afraid? I'm on his side. I know Jesus too. John knew Jesus and so do I. I'm excited that he's that powerful. You see, when we understand that Jesus is a powerful God, that's all to our benefit. The God who holds the keys to death and hell. This is Jesus and he's on my side. I have no fear. I think about him in heaven. I think about him returning one day and I'm being ready for that and not fearing because he's on my side. Too many Christians don't understand the power of God and they live their lives in fear. They live their lives in shame. They fear the future. What's gonna happen to me? They fear other people. What will they think of me? It's all because they don't quite grasp the power of jesus christ but when you understand his power his resurrection power and know he's the one that holds the keys to death and hell you have nothing to fear in this life and i hope you can say that today because jesus christ is risen today he's alive he's with me he's inside of me and there is nothing to fear whatsoever maybe some of you that say you know what I really am actually scared of the Jesus you just talked about. I never heard all this stuff about him. I thought that was just the old-timey preacher guys who talked like that. I didn't know that was still in the Bible. I thought we took that out. No, it's still there. Same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. He'll always be the same. It's who he is. And some of you may be saying, I I am not 100% sure that I'm on his side. I've never made that decision to follow him and to be baptized. You can make that decision today, right now, and I hope you do, and you can pray and tell Jesus, I'm committing to you, and I want to follow you from this point forward. I want to be on your side, and I want to follow you for all of eternity, and if that's your desire today, and there's no better day than Easter Sunday for you to experience the resurrection power of Jesus to transform your life, we're going to pray now to end our service, and if you're wanting to make a decision to follow Jesus, Some of you for the first time and others for the first time in a long time. Just tell him. Because you'll never see Jesus' power and his compassion fuse more perfectly than when someone invites him into their lives and he powerfully and lovingly forgives them and makes them new. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you for... Who you are, the real you, the powerful God of the universe who restrained his power when he was living as one of us and held that back long enough to give your life for us. Jesus, I pray for those of us who are sitting here saying, I'm not sure I know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus and I want to follow Jesus, and I want to give my life to Jesus. God, as they sit there in their own home or gathered at our one of our church houses today, and they just whisper a prayer silently saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'll do whatever it takes. I give my life to you. Please forgive me. As they do that, Jesus, would you become more real to them than you have ever been? Let your power and your compassion meet in their lives in this moment as you powerfully and lovingly forgive them. God, I pray for those who may be hearing this message today and saying, you know what, I've been following Jesus, but my understanding and my perception of Jesus has been skewed. And I've let the world kind of affect my perspective on Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a healthy and true and accurate and biblical image of who you are and help us to live according to that. God, let us fear nothing in this world. Let us fear no one in this world and let us live our lives encouraging others to follow you and God, teaching them to obey everything you've commanded us because you are with us to the end of the age. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.